Revelation 21 this morning, and if you got a kiddo who is third grade or under today, uh, they can meet uh, Miss uh, Brooke in the back of the room. Uh, she'll be leading them down the hall. Miss Jennifer's in the back of the room as well, leading them down the hall for their lesson as we open the scriptures for our sermon today. Got to love those little voices. Right, so they're, they're heading out uh, for Bible study as we open the word, God's Word today for our sermon. Um, if you're a guest with us, my name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're glad to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, when you came in, you should have not only found an invite to Christmas Eve somewhere around you, but also a guest card. And if you're interested in some information about Redeemer, we would love to connect with you and send you that info. Uh, if you fill out one of those guest cards, you can drop it at the kiosk in the back of the room. There's a little box there. You can place that card in on your way out. Uh, there's also on the other side of that card a place for prayer requests. If there are things we can pray with or for you about, it would be our honor to do that. Um, if you're online with us, tuning in from wherever you are and want to access that same information electronically, you can go to the homepage of our website and find the guest card and the prayer card there as well today. Uh, but Revelation 21 is where we're going to be this morning for our sermon. Uh, so as, as if, if you don't have us copy the scriptures in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me as we read it together as we continue in our series entitled Happily Ever After. Revelation 21, verses 9 to 27. I'll read it for our hearing this morning. John writes, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates... And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with its rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were, the tw were twelve pearls, and each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, 
and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is God's Word. You know, I've taken preteens to camp now several times. Uh, and when you take 10, 11, and 12-year-olds away from home sometimes for the first time in their lives to be away from parents for three to four days, and the planners, organizers of preteen camps understand that reality, and so they're usually only like two nights, three days away from home. Because inevitably by usually the middle of the second day or the third day, they begin to experience this phenomenon called homesickness. Right, because mama and daddy ain't there usually. Okay, right. There's these other adults who are trusted individuals in their lives, but they're not the same as mom and dad. Whenever they get a bobo, boo boo, whatever they call it, right? Um, they scrape their knee, and mama's not there with you know the tender, loving touch in order to raise them back up and set them on their feet and get them going again. Okay. And so they begin to experience homesickness because they're not sleeping in their bed. They're not in their room, okay? They're having to eat food, which sometimes is incredibly questionable with its origins, all right? Okay, sloppy joes just show up on the plates, right, the night after you have spaghetti, okay? So all these kinds of random things are going on. So it's not the same food. It's not the same bed. It's not the same people. They are homesick, Because they've been removed from the environment which they have been raised in. Now listen, I get homesick as well whenever I travel. Earlier this year when I went to London with with Latitude to do some partnership development or most recently to South Africa to serve with Latitude in those internship programs there, graduations, retreat, all those kinds of things. I, by the middle of the trip, having to spend that much time with Keith and Justin, (laughs) am homesick, right? I get homesick. I begin to miss, right, the comforts of my own bedroom, right, the comforts of my own living room, being able to walk barefoot without having stuff stuck to the bottom of my feet in some places, okay, being able to be, be, be able to eat food that I'm accustomed to and the quantities that I'm accustomed to, right, all of those things. But inevitably, whenever I'm homesick, it's normally, listen, it's normally the people, the place I miss, but the people that I miss the most, right? I begin to miss my wife, begin to miss my children, okay? Now, sometimes with my children, depending on how they've been acting before I leave, those first couple of days are like a relief, right? (laughs) But by the end of the trip, I miss the peculiarities of their personalities and the way they phrase things and say things and the, the inside jokes that we have as a family and those types of interactions. I begin to become homesick. If you've traveled much in your life, you've experienced that as well. And I say all of that this morning to say this, is that every single human being from the time of Genesis chapter 3 has experienced somewhere in the depths of their souls, whether they can articulate what it is or not, a kind of homesickness, a kind of homesickness. 
Every single human being has been homesick for heaven. For the place that they were created for. For the person they were created by. They've been homesick. And here at the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, the very last book we have in the canon of the New Testament, we have this picture of our heavenly home. Of the place that we who call Christ our Savior and Lord will indeed live happily ever after. We have a picture of it in Revelation 21. And what I want to do this morning is try to rip open my own soul a little bit and yours, which you're welcome, okay? Rip open your soul as well to experience the same kind of longing for the second coming of Christ that Israel experienced in their longing for the first coming of the Messiah. Because Israel for hundreds if not thousands of years, long for the fulfillment of the promises that came from the patriarchs and the prophets. They long for the coming of the Messiah. And church, I believe we would be well served by that same kind of longing in our lives today that they experienced in their lives, in their day, as we long for the second advent, as we long for the second arrival. So I just want to pull open our souls a bit and try to expose that homesickness because in Revelation 21 we learn some things about our home and I want to show them to you this morning and, 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 and then help us see how our future home shapes the way that we live today. So the first and perhaps the, one of the biggest things that we see in this text about our future home is this, is that our home is not of this world. It is not of this world. In verses 9 and 10, John is carried away by the Spirit of God to a great high mountain to see the bride or the wife of the Lamb, which he then clarifies as the holy and the heavenly city of Jerusalem, which is descending from heaven or from God to the earth. Now, there is an intentional comparison between the heavenly city that John sees in Revelation 21, the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and the earthly city that John sees in Revelation 17 and 18, which is called the great prostitute or the harlot Babylon. There is an intentional language comparison between these two cities. Check it out with me for a minute. In Revelation 17.1, it's one of the angels who had the seven bowls of the seven plagues who came to John and invited him to come and see the great prostitute Babylon. In 21.9, it is one of the angels who had the seven bowls of the seven plagues who came to John and invited him to come and see the bride or the wife of the Lamb. In 17.3, the Holy Spirit carries John away into a wilderness, a barren desert, which is what a wilderness was in, the ancient day, in, in their day, for a vision of Babylon as pictured as a woman who's riding on a beast martyred because of their faith. They've been killed because of their allegiance to Jesus. It is a gruesome picture in Revelation chapter 17. 
In Revelation 21.10, the Holy Spirit once again carries John away to a great high mountain for a vision of the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, bright and shining in all of its radiance. Whereas Revelation 17 is a gruesome picture, Revelation 21 is a glorious one. Both of them are precipitated by John being carried away by the Holy Spirit to see these things. In Revelation 21... John's carried away to a very high mountain, which is a fulfillment of Old Testament prototypes and prophecy. In Ezekiel 40, Ezekiel's carried away to, on this great high mountain in which he sees the new temple that would be coming. And in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it is on a high, the highest of the mountains that God promised to make the eternal house of the Lord. In 17.4, Babylon is clothed in fine clothing and adorned with gold and jewels. And in 18.7, she is said to have glorified herself by living in opulent luxury. But we're told that her age is coming to an end in judgment as God brings an end to the age. But in 21.10 and following, we see Jerusalem made of gold, precious gems, and even the streets beneath their feet are paved with the most valuable metal on the face of the earth, and it will last forever. There is this intentional comparison between Babylon and Jerusalem, between the prostitute and the bride, between these two cities, because Babylon represents the values of the kingdoms of this world filled with its opulence, luxury, greed, immorality, impurity, and idolatry. Whereas Jerusalem represents the values of the kingdom of God, its purity, its morality, the worship of Jesus the Son exclusively by the power of the Holy Spirit unto the glory of God the Father. So the question for us this morning is this, which one is your home? Which one is your home? Is Babylon your home? Are you so comfortable in this world that you can't imagine anything better? Are you so at home in this world that there is not a sense of homesickness in your heart for something more glorious, something more profound, something more lasting, something more valuable? Or is Jerusalem your home? See, despite all the good things that you enjoy here and now, there is still an ache. There's still a longing. There's still a homesickness in your soul because you know that there's more than what this world has to offer. Even the best things this world has to offer. See, if you're a Christian this morning, there ought to be a longing in your soul for a home that is not of this world. One that descends out of heaven from God is of inestimable value. In other words, you can't put a price on it. One that is unparalleled in its majesty and its beauty and its splendor and its worth. Which one of these two cities is your home? If there's not a longing for this heavenly city in your heart, then either, either you have been deceived 
by the great ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, through his temptations and deceptions to believe that your best life is possible now. Or, or you've never known Jesus in the first place. Something is wrong in our hearts if there's not at least an inkling of homesickness for heaven. And church, if Jerusalem is our home, it's the home of those who have repented of sin and placed their confidence in Christ, if that is your home, then what you are waiting for in the future shapes your life in the present in at least these significant ways. Let me give them to you this morning. First of all, you would be courageous for the sake of the kingdom. You'd be courageous for the sake of the kingdom. Let me, let me show it to you in the text. Look at what waits for us in the new Jerusalem. It's a place of absolute beauty and security. In verse 17, we're told, uh, let me just stop here for a second. There's so much in this passage. We don't have time to comment on everything, all right? I'm trying to make an impression on you this morning, not give you every detail that's here. In verse 17, we are told that the wall around this city measures 144 cubits, which apparently on an angel's tape measure and a human tape measure is the same measurement, Okay? And now, 144 cubits is equivalent to 216 feet. And there's some debate as to whether or not this is a measurement of the height of the wall or the thickness of the wall. But either way, if you have a wall that is either 216 feet tall or 216 feet thick, that wall is impenetrable. It's impregnable. You cannot scale it and you cannot plow through it with ancient military methods. In addition, we're told in verse 25 that the gates of the city would never be shut during the day. Why would you shut the gates of the city during the day? Because there was an impending or imposing threat that was seeking to do harm to the city. But there's no need to shut the gates of the city by day because there is nothing that can threaten the security of this city. We're also told that there would be no night there. They would always shut the gates of the city at night. Why? Because the nighttime is the time in which thieves break in to steal, kill, and destroy. And there is nothing or no one who could break in to this city to steal, kill, or destroy. Furthermore, we see in verse 27 that the reason there is no one who can break in to steal, kill, or destroy is because no one who is unclean, detestable, or false will be allowed into that city. So in other words, no one with ill intent or evil motives will be able to invade. Finally, the reason that they can't get in is you see it in verse 12. There are 12 gates, and at each gate there is an angel. 
Now listen, this is very reminiscent of what we see in Genesis chapter 3. Whenever man falls in sin, they are cast out of the garden. And what does God place at the entrance to the tree of life? He places a cherubim and a flaming sword turning north, south, east, and west in every direction so that no one, no sinful fallen human being could ever access it again. And at every gate, God places an angel. See, this, the picture here, is that is one of impenetrable security. Absolute security. Now, when we think of something that's impregnable, oftentimes as modern Americans, our mind may go to like Fort Knox. Okay? Right, the gold depository in Kentucky. Right? Where the United States Treasury has held deposits of gold bullion since 1937. All right? For a very long time, almost 100 years, the stockpile of gold for the U.S. has been held in Fort Knox. Proof's door that weighs 22 tons. Do the math. That's 44,000 pounds, okay, of a door. People, and because people can't be trusted, there is no single person who has the entire combination to the vault. In fact, there are 10 members of the depository staff that must each dial in their own separate combinations and their combination is only known to them and to no one else in order to access the vault. Beyond the main vault door, there are smaller internal cells that provide further protections. There are several fences around the security, armed guards, guard towers, and the depository is closed to visitors. There's no tours. You can't just go in and say, hey, let me take a look at all the gold bars. No one has access. When we think of impenetrable security, that's what we think of. And I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that this city that comes down from heaven from God is infinitely impenetrable. Someone could drill into Fort Knox. Someone could blast their way into Fort Knox, bomb their way into Fort Knox. But there is nothing that threatens the security of this city. And if that's true, if our future, listen, is buttoned up that tight and that secure, then you can risk it all for the sake of the kingdom now. You can risk it all. You can put all your chips at the center of the table and say, I'm betting everything on what's coming. Betting everything on the kingdom. You can sell everything, all that you have. Give all your possessions to the poor like Jesus says. Right? And come and follow him into some of the most difficult and dark places on the globe. Right? You can uproot your family and move to places where the name of Christ has not yet been named, has not yet been spoken. God only is only able to communicate there through dreams and visions because there are not missionaries on the ground with the scriptures in their language to give them God's word. You can move to places like that. You can be a part of small churches as they grow in our community to reach and, 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 and teach people who are living in a land of darkness with a veil covering their eyes that they know not yet what it is to know Christ. Even in our community. You can hold fast to Jesus 
in the face of persecution. You can hold fast to Jesus in the face of opposition. You can hold fast to Jesus in the face of any type of threat in this life because you know the worst thing that someone can do to you is kill you. And if they do, you go to be with Jesus and eventually your eternal home is buttoned up so tight that you will do nothing but enjoy him forever with no further threats to you. So if Jerusalem's your home, you can be courageous for the kingdom. Let me ask you this, this Advent, as you look for the second coming of Christ, what step of faith is God leading you to take? To believe Him for? What risk are you willing to take? Because you believe that your, your, your eternity is so secure that you can risk it all in this life for His sake. Second, if Jerusalem is our home, then listen, we can be hospitable to all peoples. All people. See, this home, this city that comes down out of heaven from God, it is a home for God's covenant people in every age. The Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. Look at this with me. The gates uh, inscribed on every gate is one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Inscribed on the foundations are one of the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, of the church. So all of God's people from all times and all places will be present in that's coming down out of heaven from God, the dwelling place of God with man. In addition, in verses 24 to 26, we're told that the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city and that the nations will bring their glory and their honor there as well. What does that mean? I think this is what it means, church, that the world will no longer be a place where nations are competing with nations for glory and honor and power on the global stage, but that every nation, every ethnos, every people group on the face of the earth will bring their best offerings, their glory and honor into that city so that that city will be a multicultural, multi-ethnic melting pot of glory to God. Now let me be very clear, that is not an ecumenical, multi-faith melting pot. Okay? That is a multi-ethnic, multicultural melting pot with Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus from every ethnos, every people group, every nation there to bring glory to the Lamb in their eternal worship of Him. That all peoples are welcomed there. Listen, I've, I've had an opportunity to travel to Russia and to South Africa and to see the way different cultures engage in the worship of the same God, right? And in particularly in South Africa, listen, uh, when, whenever they worship, the native Zulu people's worship, right? Oftentimes on stage, they will have these drum lines, okay? And they've all got these djembes, Hanging there, right? And they're just, I mean, I can't even begin to demonstrate what this looks like. You have to see it 
to feel it and to experience it as they're all in unison, rhythmically banging on their drums and singing praises to God. Okay, In most of our homogenous Caucasian churches in the States, you bring that in there, it's going to make some people perhaps a little uncomfortable. Okay, But I tell you, it's the best offering of that people's that they are giving to God in worship. And that's going to be there one day, church. That's going to be there. Along with all us white people who tend to sit in our seats and keep our mouths shut and just listen and mouth along to the words, right? That's going to be there one day too, hopefully with a little more gusto because we're in the presence of God. (laughs) Right, this multi-ethnic, multicultural melting pot of all peoples from all places and all times who have trusted in Christ will be present with their best offerings from their cultures to bring to God. And if that's what's coming then, then we ought to welcome that today. We ought to welcome peoples from all places, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnos, every people group with our hospitality. Who is God calling you to welcome this Advent, church? Maybe it's a neighbor that's moved in next door. Maybe it's a classmate at school, students, who comes from a very different ethnic background as you, but they have the same God, the same Jesus that they worship. Who is it that God's calling you to welcome? Third, if Jerusalem is our home, we ought to live with an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset. So often in, a, in this world, we live with a scarcity mindset. Always emphasizing our lack, what we don't have, what we wish we had. All of those things. However, I want you to notice the materials this city is made from. Right? It's made from gold and precious gemstones. And there is an intentional contrast, again, between the temporal and finite wealth of Babylon and the eternal, infinite wealth of Jerusalem. So that even the streets are paved with gold, not with asphalt, that black, tarry, sticky stuff, okay? That whenever they freshly pave roads, I can't run on them for a while because they, get my, my, they just stick to my shoes, I, right? Constantly. Right? And not concrete, which is just crushed up rock and some binding agent that they throw in there. But they're paved with the most precious metal on the face of the earth. That's what they use to pave the streets of heaven. And these precious gemstones, the gates, listen, they're made of single pearls. My mind cannot conceive an oyster big enough to make a pearl large enough to make a single gate on this 216 foot high or thick wall, right? So you've got these precious materials. The foundations are made of all sorts of precious gemstones, 12 to be exact. And these gemstones, by the way, church, just so happen to correspond to the gemstones which would have been worn on the high breastplate of the high priest in ancient Israel, signifying that the 12 tribes, God's people, were close to the heart of the priest because they were close to the heart of God himself. 
Now, when you look at the infinite wealth of this city and are reminded that you are ever on the heart of your high priest, Jesus Christ, who the book of Hebrews is very clear, he is our high priest. He is the mediator of God's presence in our midst. Then why in the world would we live with a mindset that emphasizes our lack and scarcity, believing we have to stockpile and hoard whatever we can get our hands on, and that God will not come through for those that he loves, who are on his heart with the riches of heaven? See, when we live with an abundance mindset, we're free to give and to give and to give and to give some more because we believe that our worth is not in what we own, as the hymn says. We believe that God really does own the cattle on a thousand hills. They are all His. We believe that our eternal home is filled, indeed, overflowing with infinite wealth. And we believe that bigger Going bigger with benevolence is better than going bigger with barns to store all of our goods and grain, as Jesus tells in the parable in Luke 12. If we really believe Jerusalem, if Jerusalem is really our home, that city, and then we can live with this abundance mindset and give and give and give. Fourth and final. If Jerusalem is our home, church, then we ought to long for the presence of God. Long for the presence of God. Now, you're going to have to bear with me for a moment. We've got to do a little work, okay? First, like where do you get this from? First, and you shouldn't believe me unless I can show it to you from the Bible. Okay, I've said that before and I'll say it again. First, I want you to notice the measurements of this city. In verses 15 to 16, we see a man with a golden rod, the angel that had come with a golden rod, which is a fulfillment as well of Ezekiel, who sees somebody else with a golden rod giving measurements to Ezekiel in, in that book. But a man with a golden rod who goes about measuring the dimensions of the city. Now, the city is a large square whose dimensions measure 12,000 stadia in every direction. I don't know about you, but I don't know what a stadia it is, so I had to look it up. Right? A stadia is, is roughly, um, 12,000 stadia is roughly 1,400 miles. Okay? That's a big city. Roughly the distance between Dallas and Philadelphia. Okay? That's a long way. Half of our nation. If you work out the math, this ends up being an area just shy of 2 million square miles. 1,960,000 to be exact. Okay, if it's 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high, right? That's actually cubed. I don't even know what the math is on that, but you figure it out, okay? So but what's the significance of this distance? Now, multiple, multiple scholars suggest that this would have roughly been roughly the size of the known Hellenistic world in John's day. The world that they knew and lived in. The world that they operated in. The world that they understood to be the boundaries. So what John sees here, listen, is a city that's descending out of heaven from God that would have enveloped the entire known world in his day. 
which would have been a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, where Isaiah's writing, or and following, where Isaiah's writing about the coming, the coming, the second coming of Christ. And he says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. That's a beautiful picture. You got all these carnivores, right, and all these herbivores who are now dwelling together without threats from one another. The wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the lion and the cow. Right? Those of you who perhaps grew up on dairy farms, you're like, praise Jesus, right? That the cows aren't threatened anymore. I don't know if we'll still eat them or not, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Imagine what parent in their right mind today would stop breastfeeding their child. That's what a nursing child is. And set it down at the hole of a cobra to go play with its blocks, right? Little Lincoln logs and toys, right? Right there as the cobra raises it and sends out its ears, wherever those flaps are on the side of its head. And a weaned child, one who has just come off of being breastfed, is now placing its hole on top of an adder's den, two incredibly venomous snakes, And then he says in verse 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And then he says this, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He says in the same way that the waters envelop and cover the sea, there's a day that's coming in which the entire earth will be enveloped by the knowledge of God. This city that John sees coming down, he sees enveloping the entire known world. Second thing you need to see here to make sense of this is that notice the temple for this city. Now, temples in the ancient religions were the meeting places between God and man. It was no different in ancient Judaism. In particular, in ancient Judaism, the temple, they had three, three of these spaces. They had the tabernacle when they were wandering through the wilderness. They had Solomon's temple, which he built. Then they had Herod's temple, which he built after the destruction whenever Babylon came in and, and overthrew and out, over, sacked them and overran and destroyed everything. Right? So you had these three spaces in Israel's history which served these meeting places between God and man. You had a tent and two permanent structures. Right? But the temple in Jerusalem that was built had several layers to it. It had the outer court, right? And then it had the inner court, and then it had the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant, which God had given to His people uh, to, to house the, the, the they, that's, and where within they housed the Ten Commandments, those, tab- stones, those, those tablets of stone that Moses brings down from the mountain are in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, and atop the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies is the mercy seat. And the high priest of Israel would only go into that Holy of Holies one time every year. And he would go in with a rope tied around his leg in case he fell dead in the presence of God, that somebody could get him out without dying themselves. 
And he would go in and he'd take the blood of a goat and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat atop the ark of the covenant to atone for the sins of the people in the presence of God. That's where Ezekiel sees the presence of God, the glory of God evacuating the temple and returning to the temple in the holy of holies, in this most sacred place. And everything in the Holy of Holies was overlaid in the purest gold that Israel could possibly muster. And yet here, here in Revelation 21, what we see is that there's no temple in this city. It says, for the Lamb and the Lord are its temple. In other words, the entire space of the city is sacred. This city, like the Holy of Holies, which was all overlaid in gold, all the artifacts and ornaments in there overlaid in gold, the entire city is made of gold. And John is saying this, that what used to be confined to this one space in a temple in Jerusalem where the presence of God dwelled, now the presence of God the holy of holies will be the entire earth. That's what's coming. So that as the prophet Habakkuk writes in Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Third thing you need to see to make sense of this is there's, notice the light for the city. There's no need for a sun and moon in this city. Because the glory of the Father and the Son illuminates the city 24-7, 365. There is no cost, rising cost of electricity to be concerned about. Okay, because the light of God never goes out. We're told in verse 11, the city has a, the glory of God radiating from it like a most rare jewel, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The radiance of the city of heaven is the glory and the beauty of God himself. And then fourth, notice all the mentions of the number 12 or its multiples here. The wall around the city had 12 gates, 12 angels, the 12 tribes on the 12 gates, the 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. The city was 12,000 stadia cubed. The wall was 144 cubits, which is a multiple of 12, 12 times 12 to be exact. The foundation of the wall had 12 different jewels. The 12 gates were made of 12 pearls. All this 12s, right? And the number 12 in the Bible often represents goodness or wholeness. And so what John sees is this. Let's put all this together. What John sees is this. The holy city descending from heaven is the whole world becoming the holy of holies where God's presence will dwell with his people face to face, illumine their lives forever, and make them whole. That's what's coming. That's the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly city of Jerusalem, where God's presence is palpable face to face. And if that's our home, then there ought to be within us a longing for the presence of God even now. Even now. And while our experience of the presence of God may be like a child who loves to play with flashlights, okay, and they go out on a bright sunny day with a flashlight and they turn it on, you can just barely see that light flickering. Listen, one day, that's, that may be like our, our experience of the presence of God now, incomplete, in part, but one day it's coming in all of its fullness. 
And so today, long for the presence of God and let his word be a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. Long for the presence of God and let the light of Christ shine into the world because it's already shown into the world. And guess what? The darkness around us has not, cannot overcome it. Live in the light of Christ, walking in step with the Spirit of God. Longing for His presence to be more full in your life tomorrow than it was today. See, church, our home is not of this world. To long for His presence, live in His light with a mindset of abundance, being hospitable to all peoples, and taking risk for the sake of the kingdom of God. Are you homesick yet? I hope this morning that the Holy Spirit has maybe pulled open that part of your soul a little wider to make you long more for the second coming of Jesus through this Advent. Even as we sing all of the songs of Emmanuel, God with us, that we will long for the King of Kings the Lord of lords, the rider on the white horse who would come again. Let's pray. Father, today and tomorrow and the day after and the week after and for the rest of our lives here on the earth, may you continue to peel back that place in our soul that is homesick. Father, for those under the sound of my voice who have searched the world high and low looking for something to satisfy them, not knowing that what they were longing for was the heavenly city of Jerusalem and trying to find Jerusalem in all sorts of Babylons in this world. I pray today, God, that you would open their eyes to see that what they need is you. That what they need is an experience of your love and your light to shine into their lives through the person of your Son. I pray that your Holy Spirit would break through the veil of darkness the blinders that the God of this age Satan himself has over their eyes so that they might see for the first time and they would place their faith in Jesus and they would long for the heavenly city of Jerusalem Father, for those who have done so, I pray that you would help us to live like that is our home. Not the city of Babylon, but the city of Jerusalem. May we be risk takers because our future is secure. May we be givers because there is infinite wealth in our home, in the heavenly city. May we be hospitable to all peoples because that city will be populated by all cultures, every ethnos, every nation. 
experience your presence today more than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today that would make us more and more whole as we wait to be made completely whole in your presence for all of eternity. I pray we'd find healing for our hurts and our brokenness and that wholeness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I